everybody, and welcome to Podcast by Committee. We're still going. I'm Nana Dofino, and my very special guest today, Mark Kabali from the Athletic Pittsburgh. Mark, what's up, man? Not much. How you been? Uh, it's pretty good, dude. Uh, thanks for doing this, man. I, I enjoy our slacks that we that we occasionally do, so it's kind of cool to talk to you now. Yeah, you know, you can't do without it right now, right? It's become like I've I've been one of those people that I'm never going to not do email, and now <laughs> I'm, I barely do email because of Slack. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't email me because I might not get back to you. <laughs> yeah, it's sad, right? Like, I mean, it all pops up in my phone anyway, but Slack just seems more urgent, I guess. Anyway, if Slack has taught us anything, Mark's fantasy guy. Mark's very cool, and uh, Mark's very helpful with a lot of this stuff. And uh, I think, I think Mark, the best place to start is kind of a fervor that you started among the fantasy community uh, with your Jalen Samuels article this Saturday. Did it really? Uh create a stir i wasn't really a paying attention <laughs> it's i mean a stir in a good way you you firmly planted him on a lot of radars and i think a lot more people are considering jalen samuels uh as, as something bigger than a handcuff right now yeah you know what it is i mean there was a lot of talk about him splitting carries with james connor and that was basically the narrative all through the spring of uh you know they didn't want to wear connor out they wanted to get him ready for more uh, November, December, January football, something he hasn't really ever done, or at least not toward the middle of his pit days. And, you know, you come up here and I'm at training camp right now in the plush dorm room waiting for practice to start. And you get to t- get the sense that, you know, that's not the case at all. It's going to be James Conner carrying the ball a whole heck of a lot. And uh, they're going to use Jalen Samuels in a various amount of ways and most of it's going to be what it appears to be is out of the backfield. Even if it's throw, I mean, he's there will be some sort of two back sets at times, but not in your traditional manner of your pony type of things. He's going to be split out. He's going to be split out as a receiver. He's going to be, you know, motioning. They're going to try to get him the ball quickly and let him make his uh, moves down the field. So if you're looking for 168 targets to make up for in, Antonio Brown, maybe not the 15 touchdowns or at least a hundred and some catches. I think Jalen Samuels could be that guy. I don't know if he's your starter. I don't think you want to pick him in the second or third round, but I would imagine he'd be a great flex player potentially. Well, you know, so I had this a little farther down, but I'm going to follow up with this. Um, You know, without getting through the meat of this, what I want to get back to still, but is is Jalen Samuels, is there a chance that, and after reading your story, it seems like it. Um, could he be number two on the team in targets this year? Oh, I, um, yeah. I mean, potentially. I mean, obviously, Juju's going to be number one. We don't know what number two is. What it looks like to me is after one, you got Moncrief, you got Juju. You, I mean, you got Moncrief, you got James Washington, you got Switzer, potentially Deontay Johnson, potentially Eli Rogers. Vance McDonald, there's going to be a whole hodgepodge of targets there. I don't think anybody's going to stand out. So uh, it's very potential that he could be number two in targets, the way they're looking at him. Uh, you know, Roethlisberger loves to get rid of the ball quick, and that's all they do is quick, 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 and to get him the ball in the matchup. And then and you can't underestimate the, the smartness of uh, Roethlisberger either being able to see – and recognize and even put a guy like Samuels in position to have matchups, favorable matchups in this 
Jalen Samuels told me every time I if, I if a linebacker walks out on me, I'm starting to laugh right then. So it's potential. I mean, that's not saying it's going to be huge. I think all five or six of those guys might be right around the same amount or, or at least two or three of those will emerge as about the same amount. But I wouldn't bet against it now. Uh, so here's here's the the sentence that stood out to me in your story about Jalen Samuels. If you, if you haven't read it yet, I strongly urge everyone to go check it out. I believe it uh, went live on Saturday over in the Athletic Pittsburgh. Um, the Steelers have been so enamored with his route running ability that a good chunk of their post-Antonio Brown offense has been modified to incorporate Samuels. Uh, his best, uh, sorry, to incorporate Samuels' best skills, running routes, catching footballs, and creating mismatches. Uh, and later in it, you actually noted that uh, Le'Veon Bell's route tree was limited. Samuels isn't. Um, yeah. we, we've, I mean, this mantra has been repeated several times on the show. It's fantasy players are going nuts over someone who's in the slot or someone who's running great routes, like a great route runner suddenly is the greatest fantasy asset you could have. And you basically just painted a picture of a, like a really, like a really high ceiling play here. Yeah. I mean, the route running, what I've been, what I've saw the Samuels and what I've been told by Roethlisberger, I mean, he's not going to be, you know, the second coming of, you know, Julio Jones, or I don't even know who we would consider one of the great route runners of, all time is, I mean, uh, he's still limited. He's not going to write some of those wide receiver specific routes, but it's more than let's flex you out and use your athletic ability and shake somebody and make a catch. Um, I remember a play with Le'Veon in the Jacksonville uh, playoff game. He had a caught a touchdown. I'm quite sure. I'm not sure who it was over a linebacker or whoever it was. It was a tremendous play, but it was all athletic ability. It wasn't any, you know, run, route running to get open or anything like that. So in that case, they can put him on. I've seen him out split wide numerous times and running routes. There might not be any sort of like digs or anything like that, but they're routes that typical wide receivers don't or running backs don't run. I mean, don't, underestimate his ability just to get the dump too and we saw that last year maybe against Carolina if you recall I was at I think it was a Sunday night game maybe it was Thursday night Sunday night game where I think he scored his first touchdown it was just a little in the backfield turn around get him a ball and let him go create and don't underestimate also now is his running back coach here is now the same coach he had at NC State when he had the 78, 72, 68 catch seasons as well. So everything seems like it's pointing to him to be a huge factor, but just don't expect it on the on the ground, I don't think. Well, you know, kind of related to that, um, is James Conner maybe not going to see as many uh, catchable balls thrown his way or actually balls thrown his way because Samuels might take some out of that? I mean, maybe not a running back by committee, but uh, you know, a pass catching running back by committee, or is this in the total? Is, is Connor in his own bubble and runs his own game, and Samuels is just something? Uh, totally yeah, I think it is. I think I think Connor will still get those those routes and still get those numbers. Maybe not to the degree he did last year, but he had some. He, he you know, I saw him catch a pass the other day that was would rival one of the better catches I've seen all of training camp. I'm talking about Connor here, so he came out of pit with some you know, this thought of him having bad hands. I mean, he got some pretty good hands and he can run after a little catch. I think Samuels is just an own entity in himself and Connor will still, you know, if, if the matchup says that they're going to, you know, put a safety over Jalen Samuels and a linebacker over Connor, 
Roethlisberger's going to get the ball to Connor. I'm sure some of those numbers might go down a tick, but I'm not saying one or the other or and or. Uh, I'm expecting Connor to have an actually a pretty solid season running the ball, catching the ball, and uh, scoring touchdowns. I mean, he's in this contract year, and the we know the history behind a lot of people in their contract years, but as your initial question is, I don't think Samuel's uh, involvement in the offense will greatly affect the cat pass catching of Connor at all. Uh, you know, less less Jalen Samuel's question for now. Um, if if Connor's hurt, is Samuel's would he be someone? You know, if there's a hamstring injury for a couple of weeks. Would Samuels become the feature back, or would yes. Samuels stay in that kind of complimentary? Oh, all right, so just, yeah. yeah he's, absolutely. He's, he's, right. I, I asked the offensive coordinator, Randy Fickner, in your perfect world, what is your what is your role for Jalen Samuels? He goes, number one, we want him to be the legit number two backup running back, something we didn't know last year because he came into – he got drafted. He, he, I think he never had more than 10 carries in a game. When he rushed for 145 yards against the Patriots, first time he ever went over 100 yards in his football career, and we're going back all the way to you know peewee football. He never had any more than like 16 carries in a game, 14 carries in a game. So they didn't know what he could do. And number one is this: if they need somebody to step in for a two-quarter, somebody step in for three. Uh, I think Jalen Samuels will be your feature running back then. Then they would have to adjust off of that with somebody else. It's not like like Benny Snell is going to jump in there or somebody else. But uh, when it comes to fantasy, if you're picking Jalen Samuels to get you 40 to 50 catches a year, st- stash him on the bench, and all of a sudden he becomes your feature back if Connor gets hurt, who, like I said, got hurt last year. He got hurt. The year before that, he got hurt. As last year, it, it pit. If Connor goes down, there's no doubt Samuels is your feature back. All right, this is. I mean, you like talking to you about this uh, just makes me want to go run out and do like a, like a best ball draft and just get Jalen Samuels <laughs> somewhere. Like any, yeah. Like well, this. Well, let me hold off a little bit. Didn't I say that last year about James Washington? Where'd that end up? <laughs> nah, maybe you're just a year early, right? You know, it's a, there's there's a lot going on here. Um, and I actually thought, so getting on James Washington, uh, somewhere else, it, it, I, I think it was in your, how, how these guys look column. Um, you noted that James Washington bulked up and you also said Juju Smith Schuster, you, you noticed his legs were bigger oh my um, goodness. before we get into them as you know what they can do this year, but is, is, is there like some strength and conditioning program that they're putting these guys on to say, you know, bulk up, you need these extra pounds here, you got to do this and that? They basically want a weight for every single position. They want you to be here. Outside linebackers in the system have to be between like 245 and 250. They're pretty strict with that. Inside linebackers, maybe a little bit more. Running backs, they typically want, if you're a normal-sized guy, you know, right around that 215, 220 mark. So it's very advanced in in in, in the way they manipulate their bodies through physical, you know, through weight training and stuff like that. You think these guys come from big-time schools, big-time programs, big-time weight training. Nearly every single guy that gets drafted needs to get stronger and needs to get into better shape. And it takes about a year for that to happen. James Washington went to Oklahoma State, probably had one of the best, you know, 
trainers in the world there. If you go back and look at the history of Oklahoma State, they have a world-class weightlifting guy there, and still he was not as strong as he needed to be. Same thing goes for, like, a rookie there is Justin Lane, the cornerback out of Michigan State. He needs 10 pounds of muscle. Deontay Johnson, I know he went to Toledo, but he needs 10 or 15 pounds of muscle, and that happens over a year, and the Steelers put him on a pretty strict regimen, and uh, that's what happened with James Washington last year, and he dropped some weight, added some muscle, he looks faster, and now he can do rep after rep after rep, which – if you talk to anybody in the Steelers organization, no matter who you are coming in as a wide receiver in the NFL, in their opinion, you're not in shape. You might think you're in shape. You're not in wide receiver shape to be in the NFL. And James Washington found that out last year. So he needs to be more consistent, though. He's made plays. He's faster. But same thing. He needs to do it play in, play out. And you really haven't seen that yet in training camp and I'm not getting fooled again. I mean, wake me up September 8th and let me see what James Washington doing. Cause whatever he does out here at training camp, I'm not believing one way or the other. Cause I got burned last year. Um, well, <laughs> look, you know, as, as a, as a fantasy player, like I, I have this problem where I like a guy and I guess this is more baseball, but I like a guy. And then this, this year he's terrible. And the next year he's amazing. Once I've given up on him, um, I, I guess for the next month between now and September 8th, like you say, which should, I mean, people who are going to read you and read the Pittsburgh section, uh, what, what nuggets should they be looking for that you write about or if you're tweeting about it? By the way, it's Mark uh, K-A-B-O-L-Y on Twitter. Um, like, I, I'm sure you'll be, you know, if he's doing great stuff, you'll be saying he's doing great stuff. But what, what are some signs that James Washington has figured it out and maybe he's someone to target when drafts come up in the next three or four weeks? Well, I mean, it's it's tough. Like I said, normally you could just strictly go by preseason activity and how much he reps he gets, where he's at on the depth chart. Uh, but, you know, like last year, it, I don't know if it applies to him anymore until you really see him do it because, like I said, we all got full last year. And that Green Bay preseason game, he was dominating everybody, and he didn't look like a guy – I mean, it's not only that. Even in training camp, every day he was making play after play after play. Um, I think a lot of – I think they would like to have him be their number two, but I think he he just needs to be more consistent. You have to be very cognizant of where they are with Dante Moncrief too. He's had a finger injury. If he continues to, you know, not get on the field because of that, definitely James Washington will get more reps – and stuff like that. But, you know, he's a guy that I don't know if I'd be willing to take that chance. He could be big. He could be, you know, big or he could be a bust. You could draft him in whatever, the fifth round, sixth round, and he could be a first-round talent. You could draft him, you know, in the third round, and you'd be like, what in the world am I doing here? So if I'm a fantasy guy, like I said, I've, I've, I think my first fantasy football uh, draft ever was in 1992. So I've done this for, whatever, 28 years or whatever. I'd probably stay away from James Washington, or I wouldn't pick high on him because the unknown is just so great with him. So, so like, this is kind of how I ended up wanting to lead with Jalen Samuels, uh, just, just from reading you, and you know, for the entire preseason and, and offseason, actually, too. But, you know, Dante Moncrief hurt. James Washington, uh, you know, kind of bearish on. Uh, Deontay Johnson's a rookie who needs 10 pounds of muscle. Uh, Deontay Spencer, I, I think like the the 
the high praise you gave him was he could make, you know, he could make the practice team, but he's an awesome returner. Um, you know, then there's Vance McDonald, but I mean, it, it, like all roads lead to Jalen Samuels kind of again. Yeah, you know, Ryan Switzer's a guy that might be interesting. I don't know, because he had, what, 25 odd catches last year, and he came in right before the season started, so he was learning on the fly here. If it was up to Roethlisberger with Switzer, he would be his next Julian Edelman, you know what I'm saying? Really? That's, that's how much he likes working with him. I don't know if that translates into – 100 catches in the Super Bowl MVP or anything like that. <laughs> right. Because I don't know. There's going to be so many different formations and personnel groupings. I don't know how many snaps or, or targets a guy like Ryan Switzer can get or will get. But when he is in there, he's he can be very, very active uh, type of guy. So you have to throw him in there as well. Somebody's going to have to emerge here in the next four weeks. Uh, I know Roethlisberger speaks glowingly of Moncrief just because he, he knows he needs him. And, and we've seen so little from him. We've seen, we've seen in OTAs and minicamp and he looked good, but he's, I expect him to look good because he's a six-year guy or a fifth-year, fifth, six-year guy playing around a lot of 22-year-olds that have never had a snap in their life. So he should look better. Out here so far, you just haven't seen a lot. I think he'll be back fully here. Uh, this week practicing, I'm guessing he will be playing against the Buccaneers. If you see him flashing, then he could be. I mean, he's a big guy. He's a strong guy. He's a guy that Roethlisberger would like to get the ball to as well. The problem is, is after Juju, you got a bunch of you got six guys you can just throw in the air, and they one of them is going to be good. Right now, we just don't know which one they it is. You know, Mark. This kind of reminds me, uh, and the only guy I can think of right now is Marcus Wheaton, but I know this has happened. Like for years before Juju Smith-Schuster kind of popped up, um, there was always that number two guy who everyone had a ton of hope for who just didn't pan out. And the, the, I don't know why the guy I think of is Marcus Wheaton because I know there were dudes before him and after. And there was just that that number two spot always seemed like a rotation of the next hot fantasy guy who never kind of, you know, would finish the season with 70 yards. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, Martavis was a guy that they always thought would take that next step, and he was dynamic when he was in there, but he wasn't in there very well. I know what you're talking about, the Marcus Wheaton type. They had high hopes for him, and he was out of, I mean, what was he, four years and a year in Chicago. He actually got pretty, pretty nicely in Chicago for some reason, but, yeah, they never had that guy. I mean, you go back, you have to go back to, you know, the – Antonio, uh, not even. Antonio and 10 came in. Hines was about done right then. Maybe the Antonio, Emmanuel Sanders, but Sanders wasn't really uh, that prolific early in his career. Mike Wallace. You'd have to go back to the Plex Hines day of 2001, 2002, and yeah. Tommy Maddox was around to him. Yeah, but they've never had that. They've had good receivers. Know, really good receivers and Wallace, Sanders, Brown, and guys like that. You remember Jericho Cotri played for one year and had he played for more than one year, but at one year he had like 10 or 12 touchdowns as their like number three guy. What's the thing about Roethlisberger? He, he, he doesn't really force it to anybody other than Antonio Brown in the red zone. So if you're open, he's pretty much going to throw it to that guy. 
You know, I, I got another question that kind of has to do with, with this, but it's kind of off the beaten path a little bit. Is last year um, when Randy Fickner took over as offensive coordinator, I, like I, I remember kind of in my in my theories of everything, I'm like, oh, you know, new offensive coordinator, we don't know anything about him. You know, how much of that offense was the Haley offense, and how bad is it going to be now? And there was there was no drop off. In fact, there's probably an improvement. Um, is what's Randy Fickner's? Like, I don't want to just be vague about it. Like, what's his deal? Like, is he uh is he like the next offensive genius who's going to get a head coaching job? Is he kind of like taking Roethlisberger's lead a little bit? Is like where, where does he kind of fall within this universe? And can we just expect almost like a, a duplicate of an awesome season from him and, and going forward being like this this guy you may be in fear of losing if he has another great season? Now, I'll tell you what, if he has another one of those seasons last year or this year, then maybe he is all of a sudden the, you know, the older version of Sean McVay because, I mean, he, it's easy to do it, I guess, with Antonio Brown and Juju Smith-Schuster and Ben Roethlisberger and Le'Veon Bell. Now let's see what you can do when those guys are not here. But let me, Randy, he's a guy. I mean, there's not a harder working guy out there. I mean, forget. I mean, he. <laughs> I could tell you stories of him. He's he's the quarterback coach. He's obviously offensive coordinator. He he makes dinner for all the coaches every night at training camp in his dorm room. I mean, he's, he's like this type of guy. He's like, well, Randy can do it. He, he never stops. So he, he's, a, he's a worker. But he knows where the bread is buttered for, you know, a nice cliche right there. He knows his best player is the quarterback when the ball's in his hands. And he works off of him. And he, I mean, it's the same thing. He wants multiple formations, multiple personnel groups. And the biggest key is that – Throw the ball where the best matchup is, and when you have a you know a 16-year veteran quarterback, he's sort of defers to him a lot as well. I'm not saying that Roethlisberger is a guy that's running this thing, but right, Randy has a pretty good, pretty sharp mind of what he wants accomplished. And um, then you know, look at last year. I mean, you might say Roethlisberger threw the ball 600 times and 5,000 yards, but a lot of those things were. Very controlled passes that are extension of the run game as well. So uh, if he can do that again this year, then, uh, yeah, I think he's one of these offensive coordinators that are probably getting a little bit overlooked. Um, so we've kind of hit on everyone except for Juju Smith-Schuster. I kind of wanted to save him till the end because he's kind of – he's an interesting X factor. Um, you know, I think I, I, I was one of the people who kind of doubted him last year and – and again, this year now he's stepping into the number one role. And I'm like, all right, you know, like I'll read some of Mark's stuff and I'll get like the real deal out of this. And you seem to uh, like way more like, I guess, optimistic about what he can do. Like I noticed you said he's more mature. Uh, he's obviously he's bulked. I think you said his legs especially looked way bigger. Um, he's he's in that in that role now and he's kind of accepted it. And I don't know, like is this one of those things where it's just going to be take what he did last year and had 20% as the new number one and maybe he's like, not exactly Antonio Brown, but maybe puts up Antonio Brown style fantasy points. Yeah, he he he's not gonna wow you, I guess, with his speed, but I've noticed him being a lot faster this year. As for the legs, his quads and his you know, his quads are just huge. I, I'm like I'm normally seeing all these guys working out on Instagram. They post everything. He doesn't he posts himself playing Fortnite eating ice cream. I think it's just like a whole big facade or something here. He must be like deadlifting a Volkswagen or something the size of those legs. But the speed is the one that's got me. I've seen him run past Joe Hayden and Steven Nelson 
I'm like, they're not even catching up with this guy. And then what is he, like a four or five? Four or five and a half or something like that? He might be a little bit quicker than that right now. But Juju is definitely understanding his role has changed here. And he has to be the guy. I am working on the story here. I don't know if I'll write it tomorrow, next day, or the next day about Juju being the one and what the Steelers are trying to do to prevent him from always getting double teamed. And we go back to Randy Fickner. It's going to be a lot on the offensive coordinator to put him in positions where it's going to be tough to double team him because he's not going to be in the same position every time. He's going to be out wide. He's going to be in the slot. He's going to be stacked. He's going to be in the bunch. He might be in the backfield sometimes. Defenses are going to have to always have to locate where he is to be able to, um, you know, double team him. It's not. I mean, I guess one theory would be to cover and put your, you know, put your best guy on him. But a lot of times, your best cornerback doesn't like to come in to the slot area to travel with a guy here. So I think a lot of that's going to be on him. And even if it isn't, um, even if he does get doubled or has some, the rotation to his side or whatever it is, if Roethlisberger knows that in advance, which they would be able to tell, then he can adjust quickly and go somewhere else. But as for Juju, it's going to be tough, I think, at first. And, and you know, be honest with you, I talked to Roethlisberger, and they, they told, he told me, you know, I don't even know how they're going to cover at, uh, Juju. Maybe they're not going to double him. I don't know. But I know the talent is there, the ability to make the catches, the tough catches are there because I've seen it in training camp. The speed is there because I've seen run guy people. The physicality is there. I've seen him run over Justin Lane in blocking drills like it was, you know, the blind side and Michael Orr throwing that guy into the crowd. I saw that from Juju. He did that to Justin Lane, who's a pretty big cornerback. So he has all the intangibles. It looks like he's a little bit more mature. He is only 22. Throw all that together with a Hall of Fame quarterback. If he can uh, overcome the constant you know, scrutiny, pressure associated with being the guy that replaces Antonio, the guy that needs to make this offense run, I don't see why he can't equal that last year's numbers or even better. Uh, you know, th- th- uh, just just speaking about, I guess, him thematically for a second, he, he kind of came out of nowhere, at least for the fantasy player. Uh, Juju Smith-Schuster came out of nowhere. Like, you know, no one was on him before the, the 2017 season. No one, you know, t- oh, you gotta get, he was awesome, you know, in college, and you got to get him, and he's a second-round pick, and whatever, whatever. He just kind of emerged. Um, how, how did we miss that? How did fantasy well, players? Well, he, he missed a lot of training camp his rookie year. Um, he had hamstring injuries. He missed a lot. I don't think he even played early in that year until Martavis Bryant um, got suspended for calling him out on Instagram. Then I think Juju started from that point forward. So him being a guy out of USC, second-round pick with a team that already had Martavis Bryant, Antonio Brown, Le'Veon Bell, Ben Roethlisberger injury, didn't start – quickly you throw that all together and I could see why he was easily missed by a lot of fantasy guys. But after that Detroit game, you're too kind, he, was man. Yeah, thank you. he was huge after that Detroit game. Um, just speaking of Brown and Bell really quickly, 
Um, could you just give us a quick rundown of what you think their their seasons are going to look like? I know Brown and this foot thing is the weirdest thing I've seen in, in years. Um, but, I mean, should we just expect superstar them, for them to continue? Or, you know, are they going to miss Pittsburgh a little bit? Well, uh, it's all up to Derek Carr in Oakland. He throws them the ball 200 times. Antonio's going to be fine uh, until uh, he throws him the ball four times for 27 yards <laughs> and throws the ball to – I can't even. I don't even know who another wide receiver on the Raiders is. To be honest with you, him instead of Antonio, then there's going to be uh, issues. Terrell Williams. Say Terrell Williams. There you go. And one time he throws it to Terrell Williams instead of him, he's going to throw his helmet and have a fit. As long as he keeps feeding and feeding and feeding him, Antonio's going to have a monster year because he's that talented. Le'Veon, I mean, I, I would imagine. I'm sure he's going to start slowly. He hasn't played a game in 19 months. But he still had it. As long as they know how to use him, get him the ball uh, quickly, let him you know, catch the ball and run with the ball and stuff like that, it's going to take probably a little bit of time for that offensive line. But I can see both those guys having extremely good seasons. doesn't mean the Jets and the Raiders are going to win. doesn't mean the Steelers needed them or wanted them back or will be less you know ready for the season without them. But – those two guys are extremely, extremely talented. I don't have to tell you that. But uh, just go, I mean, the Antonio thing, too. I mean, his catches have went down, the, what, the last three years? I'm not saying he's slowing down, but he never was hurt before ever. And last year, he got, well, a little banged up. And now his feet looks like he walked on hot coals. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'll be a little skeptical, but a little skeptical in 100 Catches and 12 touchdowns is probably a down year for him. So I think he'll be fine. And, you know, you went through the whole Le'Veon Bell thing last year. Uh, you know, it was – I remember, like, dude, like I was with you on all of it. Like, it was just like, okay, we really have no idea. And you had this great column speculating, you know, well, he could come this date. There's a bye week. There's, you know, this, this date has significance. And it just became him not coming at all. Um can you give any insight on just like for like a Melvin Gordon speculator or even an I think Ezekiel Elliott's got a better chance of showing up at like yeah, Zeke, Zeke has no leverage whatsoever because he's two years out. So they could sit and let him, you know, for lack of better terms, rot there until he has to show up week ten to have an accrued season. So I mean the worst case scenario for Dallas is showing up whatever, week ten or it might be a little bit before that, depending on some Shady rules. Melvin Gordon, what's he in this final year, I believe? Uh, see, yeah, I think he, so. once again, to, to get free agency, I think he's going to have to, to show up to have that accrued season. It's different than Le'Veon because Le'Veon was franchise tagged already right. once. So once he got to the second, even if he didn't show up, it didn't matter because he already reached those five years for free agency. Melvin Gordon hasn't reached those five years of free agency as well. Once again, he could wait till week 10, then come back and have that accrued season. They could tag him next year, and then they'll do the Le'Veon Bell situation. But he can't sit out the entire season. I mean, because he'll be back at square one like he was, you know, right now. You know, to, so I don't think he would do anything like that. But you we're talking about week 10. There's your entire fantasy season, right? So, or the, the yeah, majority yeah. of it. I don't think those guys will do that, but I didn't think Le'Veon Bell was going to sell out the entire year either. Maybe he, 
he wanted to, Labor wanted to set the market or, or something. He might have did something else. He might have gave these running backs the, that thought that if they do sit out, that they're going to end up getting paid. Um, that's just a tough situation to be able to draft someone. Put it this way. If you're drafting Melvin Gordon, you better be drafting their backup like two rounds later. Saying, oh, I, well, yeah, right. I would say that in Dallas, but I don't know who the backup is. Uh, was there anything like behind the scenes with Bell? Like, was he was he maybe just did he need the year off? Has it become such a brutal, hard hitting game, and they wore him down so much? You know, like the the billion touches the year before. Like, was this just kind of like a year where he kind of Ricky Williams did, and he was kind of like, you know, I, yeah, I'm doing it for the you know the contract or whatever. But it's nice just to have this year not to get hammered. One thing I say about Le'Veon is he's a very He's, he's not like Antonio. Antonio's full of himself and only worries about himself. Le'Veon's a good guy, good kid. Maybe he's a little impressionable. Maybe he's not taking the best advice. But with him, it was all about money. And it was always, always about money. Uh, he was going to show up until Todd Gurley got the money. Then he's like, whoa, let me hold off here a second. What's going on here? Then he realized, okay, maybe I could sit out a little bit longer. Then when he found out... Well, somehow his agent didn't know that he uh, would could be would be tagged at the second or the third franchise tag instead of the second, and that's why he ended up sitting out and decided not to show up. But with him, it was all about money. I mean, there's no if it was up to Le'Veon Bell, he would touch the ball 700 times a season. He would complain when he didn't touch the ball. So to, for him to backtrack during that contract holdout dispute and say, "Well, I don't want to get injured and I'm beat up." Guy, never, guy would complain when he didn't get the ball. So uh, he's a guy that I don't think he was beat up because he, you know, he missed four games for a suspension. He missed two games for a suspension. His rookie year, I think he missed four games because of an injury. He missed nine games because of another injury. So it's not like he was a guy that had a million, million touches over a five-year span. He, he missed a lot of action. So, like I said, with with, with Le'Veon, it was all about money. He, if somebody would offer him a penny more, that's where he was going to go. Um, Mark, I'd like, I, I, I want to get to get to know Mark, but uh, before we do, like, is, is there anything – I just want to offer this. Is there anything that we're missing here? Like, from, from your perspective as, you know, fantasy player, have I forgotten to ask about anything, or is there a player kind of hiding there that has breakout potential? Well, Vance, um, I know we talked about – Vance McDonald. Vance McDonald, the tight end – mostly because he's the only guy they got. Uh, they've been preserving him a lot in preseason here so far, and Ben really likes to use him in the middle of the field. But I would keep an eye on this situation probably in September, early September, after that first one, I guess the only wave of cuts right now. I wouldn't be shocked if, if somebody of note comes free with those cuts in the, you know, after the fourth preseason game. The Steelers wouldn't sign a tight end. I mean, right now they got Xavier Grimble, who has never had more than 100 snaps in the season. Uh, then after that, and I'm going to tell you two names you'll never – three names. Uh, Kevin Rader, who played for Youngstown State. Um, Zach Gentry, who was more known to be a quarterback at Michigan when he was drafted there. And I actually have to look at my uh, roster here, Trevor Wood. And when you have tight end slash long snapper next to your name, you know that's not a good sign. So their tight ends are their tight ends are pretty thin past Vance McDonald. And you look at Vance McDonald's injury history, maybe not last year, but the years before that, he's been hurt, hurt, hurt. 
So that's a little th- little thing you have to watch on. That's why I think they might go out and, if there's somebody available here in you know, August 30th, they could trade for him and or pick him up. So that's that's probably something you have to wait four weeks for. Okay, got it. Uh, thank you, man. Um, now let's get to know Mark. Uh, Ten questions, just getting to know you as a, as a person, not just a source of fantasy information. Um, rapid fire. Question one, uh, do you take your Pop-Tarts toasted or untoasted? I'm too lazy to toast them, so I just right out of the package. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, Brothers, uh, overrated for the sandwiches and underrated for their pizzas? I would say, yeah, yeah, over sandwiches. If you live in Pittsburgh, you're probably not going to eat too many Permanis, but their pizza is kind of kind of underrated. Yes, I agree with that. All right. Uh, when did you have your first Iron City beer? Probably never. <laughs> I don't know if I've ever drank. Oh, really? I, I, mean, I think I've drank an Icy Light before and Stoney's. Stoney's is a Pittsburgh girl. Rolling Rock was Pittsburgh girl, but I don't know if I ever had an iron. <laughs> to be honest with you. Interesting. <laughs> um, are you an iPhone or a Droid guy? I'm an iPhone guy. Uh, what movie? This is this is from a roundtable this week. But what movie will you stop and watch when it's on TV? Anybody who knows me knows this answer: The Karate Kid. That is by far the <laughs> best movie of all time. Even the Cobra Kai, the the reboot. Oh, unbelievable, but I'm a huge Karate Kid guy. You can't watch it with me because I say every single line. Um, who's the nicest guy in the Steelers? Wow. Nicest guy. Ramon Foster's a really nice guy. Cam Hayward's a nice guy. I'm thinking here. I'm thinking here. Ryan Switzer's a nice guy. But I'd probably say Foster. Ramon Foster's a guy you'd probably sit down and have a beer with. And one of the Permanis pizzas with. <laughs> uh, what was the last album you bought? Wow. It might have been like. <laughs> it might have been Metallica saying Anger in 1996 or something. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, what, kind of, what kind of pen do you use? Black, blue ink? What kind? Do you have one? Let me see which. Uh, here's an answer for you. It's, you could tell this is because you're. I'm a. I'm a, guy, a beat writer. Whatever Marriott has out on their table, I could steal. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's crazy. Last show we had Greg Allman, uh, the, the Bucks writer, and he had like he, he was like a G two like this like he had the, the exact model and number and how many he has uh, in his bag. Oh, no. you know, whatever I got, I got twelve different versions of a Marriott pen in my bag right now. That's awesome. Uh, this is why we ask. This is great. Uh, you're in a new city. It's an off day. You don't have anything to do. Uh, what is the first thing you do? Probably Google where's the best place to get pizza. Really? Oh, yeah. Go get some pizza. I'm not going to, like, you know, any uh, uh, theaters or anything like that. I'm going to see where the good pizza is. Nice. <laughs> uh, last question is, how do you take your burger? You know, that's weird because – I never knew growing up all you ate, ate was like McDonald's. And then somebody once asked me, how do you want your burger done? I'm like, huh? <laughs> what are you talking about? So I guess medium. I'm, I see. I don't mind that back in, you know, be honest with you. This might be freaky. I'm probably not the only one that's done this. When I was a little kid, I would sometimes eat like raw hamburger meat. You know, your parents were making the hamburgers. Like, give me some of that. I'm like, oh, this is pretty good. Then you realize 
25 years later that you probably shouldn't have been doing that. Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah man. That's... I am not the only person who's ever ate raw hamburger meat when you're like 12 years old. There's no way. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put that on a Twitter poll. I think that sounds like a very good Twitter poll. <laughs> <laughs> so I'd say medium, yeah. I guess. I need a little pink in there. All right. Uh, yeah, so if nothing good has come out of this show, at least it's a good Twitter poll question that you know could get people really wondering. Uh, Twitter polls are great. Yeah, they are. They are. <laughs> uh, Mark Cavalli, man, th- thank you so much for doing this. Um, this is this is amazing information, and it it's uh, you know it means a lot that you addressed fantasy players directly in uh, one of your last columns there too. So uh, uh, make sure you follow him on Twitter, uh, Mark K A B O L Y uh, from the Athletic Pittsburgh, which is the Athletic Pit on Twitter as well. Um, Mark, good luck with everything. Th- thank you again for for taking the time to do this. All right, we'll see you heading up to stake out the, some players coming off the field here, see if I can talk to somebody. So I appreciate it. Best of luck, man. Thank you. And uh, hopefully we'll talk to you again soon. All right, we'll see you.